Today we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. Um, still not talking about speaking in tongues, we will. Still not talking about signs and wonders we will. and healings, we will. This is life in the Spirit. A couple of years ago, more than a few years ago now, I preached through Romans. Anybody remember going through Romans? Yes. Right? I think it was quite a famous morning we had on Romans 8. Well, we're going back to Romans 8 today. I didn't even look at my notes. I didn't go to resurrect anything I said before. I didn't try to pull that in. I just looked at it fresh and did wow. a new view, okay? Yep. Um, because the emphasis is this is life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned only three or four times before Romans 8, and then again four or five times after Romans 8. He's mentioned 21 times in Romans 8. The chapter is about life in the Spirit. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we come to your word, and it's very precious to us. We honor the word of God. We honor the fact that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's profitable to us. The whole thing teaches us and instructs us, corrects us, gives us good examples, bad examples, gives us doctrine, things we need to firmly believe and build our lives upon. So help us now, Holy Spirit, you who inspired Scripture. Inspire our minds, our hearts, to see, to understand, to receive, and to be motivated to action. Help me to preach now, I pray, too. Amen. Amen. So what would you think life in the Spirit would look like? Not just on Sundays, but all week. By the way, there's, in terms of signs and wonders, I don't even think they happened all the time to the apostles because Luke is recording some significant or extraordinary things that happened from time to time. Other things happened more generally, but you know, when there was something like the handkerchiefs thing, people tried to do it again today or whatever. Paul Baruch records that as being an extraordinary thing. Or Peter's shadow was an extraordinary thing. You know? I'm not saying people weren't healed often, but you know, some things happened that were really quite extraordinary. That's why, that's why Luke records them for us. Chapter 5 through 8 of Romans contains the most continuous teaching in the epistles on life and the Spirit. We're still dealing with signs and wonders and so on. We're dealing with everyday life and overcoming in life. Overcoming what? Sin, circumstances, challenges, crises by the grace of God. So I'm going to start in Romans 5, pick out a verse or two from Romans 5, one from first chapter 7, give you some headlines. So we arrive at Romans 8. Okay, We're adding in some things from the Lord Jesus and from the other epistles as I felt was appropriate. I've got a book on my shelves at home called Redemption, Accomplished and Applied by John Murray, which I must have read a long time ago, but I've forgotten most of it. But I, I came up with this. Actually, there's three parts to our salvation because there's a trinity, yes, there's a holy trinity who are all engaged in our salvation, in our being brought back to God through Jesus. The Father authorized it. He planned it. He's the architect of our salvation. He predestined it. He elected us. He called us. He chose us. The Father did that. Then redemption was accomplished, finished. It is finished, said Jesus on the cross even by Jesus, the Son of God, made flesh. Jesus accomplished in himself all that is necessary for us to be saved by the grace of God. He did it all. Nothing further to be added. But the Holy Spirit applies salvation and redemption to us. He puts it into us. He works it in us. So that it becomes real in us. 
It's not just real as being, excuse the words, subjective. It's out there. It's in here. That's the work of the Spirit. Only He can do that. It's not just intellectual assent to some truths. We know some things because we know them in our Noah. <laughs> yeah? In our hearts. The Holy Spirit brings to us all that Jesus has done for us and is to us. We read it over past weeks. Remember this? Jesus said this. He will glorify me, the Holy Spirit will, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine what is Jesus, what is his, what belongs to him, what he's done, and reveals it to us, makes it real. So you get it, you see it, you want it, you embrace it, you grab hold of it. The Holy Spirit does that. And then last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul says, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God who is who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Now, they're only freely given because Jesus paid for them. But we know what is ours in Christ because the Holy Spirit keeps teaching us and showing us, listen, you need to know this. You need to see this. You need to get a hold of this because it's already ours in Christ Jesus. Let me put that in a phrase for you. What has been won for us by Jesus must be brought to us and worked in us by the Holy Spirit. All right? If you've got a note, you've got that written down. Otherwise, you might want to write it down. Listen then as we start to work through a couple of points from Romans until we arrive at chapter 8. First Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's, you know that. You feel it. You, it's got you confident in it, that you're, you're accepted by God, fully accepted by God through Jesus. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction in, by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, we also exult, rejoice, give thanks in our tribulations. It's a long word, trouble. Trouble. Knowing that tribulation, trouble, circumstances, challenges, crises, brings about perseverance or endurance. And perseverance produces proven, tested character. And proven character produces hope. Confident expectation of the grace of God and the glory of God. Hope. Confident expectation in God. And hope does not disappoint. doesn't let us down. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's one of those early mentions of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit has poured the love of God into our hearts so that two things happen. We know that we are loved by God and we have a resource to love others. Because the love of God is not to be you know, kept in a tank, it's to be expressed. And, and as we show our love to others, so that God renews love in us. We know, he says, well done. You can... 
you can know my approval. And we go, oh, God loves me for that. God, God's, God's glad with me, happy with me for that. He's rewarding me for that. The love of God is continual flow. Flowing into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and pours out the love of God within our hearts so that we know we're loved and we're empowered and motivated to love us. In the centre of those verses, though, is a theme we'll return to in a few minutes in Romans 8. The grace of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit leads us to overcome troubles, challenges, conflicts in this life. He helps us to go through. We even grow through those times in endurance and character and hope if we stand in this grace, strengthened and supplied by the Spirit who assures the hearts of God's love. From then on, in Romans and in other books as well, Paul often uses the word grace. Now what he means by grace is not just mercy. Mercy is a different word. People think about grace, they think about forgiveness. But grace is actually the empowering presence of God the Holy Spirit at work in you so that you get hold of God's mercy and it changes the way you are and the way you live. Grace changes us. Grace empowers us. Grace equips us. That's the way Paul uses the word grace. In fact, I, I describe grace as being the work of God in us in his wisdom, power and love. They're at work in us to bring us to become more like Jesus, who's the firstborn of the sons of God. The Holy Spirit brings the work of Jesus to us and builds the life of Jesus in us. And the rest of Romans 5, headlines, Jesus took our place and made reconciliation with God for us. Just a verse from there. If while we were reconciled, we were if while we were enemies, sorry, we were reconciled to God through the death of his soul. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How's his life going to save us? Because the Holy Spirit is going to put the life of Jesus in us. We're saved now by his life. We are saved by his death, finished work. We are being saved now by the fact that he comes to live in us through the Holy Spirit. His life in us. Then in verses 12 to 21, we were dead in Adam, but we're made alive in Jesus. We were in sin in Adam, but we're made righteous and alive to God in Jesus. And then there's just a verse from there. For if by the transgression of the one, that is Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who have received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. Anybody up for reigning in life? You're tired of being bashed by life? Okay. Then further down, the law, the Old Testament law, not, not the... Not all the kind of pots and pans and all that kind of stuff and the animals and so on. You know, the, all that kind of, the, the, the civic law. But the moral law, God's law, the Ten Commandments. And, therefore, and then alongside of that, the sacrifices that dealt with the sin because you were not keeping the Ten Commandments. So the law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now let me explain that to you. Paul spells it out in Romans 7. The more the law told me not to do something, the more I was doing it. It was like... Don't do that. Do what? Oh, that! In Romans 7, he says, I didn't know what coveting was until the law said, do you, don't covet. Then I found myself coveting everything and everything. I, saw, I found myself doing it all the, all, the, all the time. The law, even because there's a rebellion here, when you're told not to do something. How many of you know when you tell a child not to do something, they go, do what? <laughs> rebellion. 
deep in the heart of the human being. The more God tells us that's not good for you, we go, watch me. <laughs> the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death through Adam, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to save us by the life of Jesus, supplying the life of Jesus to us. Resurrected life of Jesus, by the way, as well. By the Spirit, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6. In Jesus, we are now dead to sin and alive to God. Next few verses. We were slaves of sin, but we're now slaves of God. I should say in Jesus. In Jesus, we've been freed from the law to what? Do what? Please ourselves? No, to live by the Spirit. Those who follow the Spirit find themselves fulfilling the law. We live by a different, we're not living by do, do and don't list. We're living by being led by a person, the Holy Spirit. Let me skip down a bit. Here we go, yes, verse 6 of chapter 7. Now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. Amen. You know, God bless the people who want to put the Ten Commandments up on a wall, but those things, according to the new covenant, are now written in our hearts, and we're motivated to live in a way that pleases God because the Holy Spirit empowers us to live that way. So we don't, we, I don't need, we shouldn't need a checklist. What did I do today? Oh, okay. The Holy Spirit either challenges my heart or assures my heart. That's what John says in his letter. The Holy Spirit himself. You know, we're sometimes, we're sometimes conflicted, we're sometimes challenged, we sometimes know we're out of order. We need to put, get that sorted. Other times we know, you know, hey, well done. You got through that one today. You overcame that today. We don't serve God according to the Old Testament law, but in the newness of the Spirit who comes to empower us to, to live God's way for his honour. And it says, John, Paul there talks about the law defines sin, but even provokes sin. So Romans 7 is a difficult chapter, but let me give you my view on it. It's the anguish of someone, particularly a Jewish person, God-fearing person, or a Gentile who was a God-fearer, who understood God's law. They, they had some background, they knew the Scriptures. They know what's right, they know what's good and true and holy according to God's word, but they cannot find within themselves the strength to be obedient. They find there's something that always is working in the opposite direction. They're finding another law at work. The law is good, but there's another law called the law of sin and death. It's the law of fallenness. It's the law of corrupt human nature. And, and I, can't, I can't fix that law. It pulls me all the time to the wrong things. And there's a law of sin and death because all sin and therefore all die. But then it says in Jesus we've been freed from the law to live by the Spirit. And the chapter, chapter 7, I'm giving you a very brief summary, it ends with a cry from the heart. Paul's experience perhaps as a, you know, a godly Jew, loving the law, knowing God's righteousness, but couldn't do it. 
He says this, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I, I know it's right. I know it's true. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law which is in my members, in my physical being. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death or this dying body? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of the sin. Now, there are no chapters and verses in the original Greek. It goes straight on to this. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who's going to set me free? Christ Jesus. How's it going to do it? Next verse. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer under, under condemnation, no longer under judgment, no longer hell-bound, as we might say. No more guilt, no more shame. You can know that. You can know that you're forgiven and accepted in Jesus. But Scripture here speaks about more than forgiveness. It speaks about freedom. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus is a higher and better law than the ultimate law. There's a law of sin and death that governs everyone, every fallen human being. And the law of God defines what that is and what, that's, what sin is. But there's another law. It's, it, it, it's, it's another government. It's another power. It's another authority. And it's the authority of the Holy Spirit bringing to us the life of Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus overrides those laws in the same way that if you get enough engine power in an aeroplane, it overcomes the law of gravity for a time, doesn't it? Yes. The law of gravity wants it to come to the ground, but there's a law of thermodynamics that says, I'm flying today, thank you very much. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a greater power and a greater authority than the law of sin. Amen. For what the law could not do, Sorry, I've got to give you these pictures. There's a nice picture. Move on. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, sinful human humanity. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. I'm not explaining every verse. Don't wait for me to do that. So the requirement of the law might be what? Wiped out for us? No. Fulfilled in us. We get to live the way God wanted us to. Righteously, God-honoringly. Just invent, I'm inventing words here as we go along. Right? <laughs> that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, the old human nature, but according to the spirit. They walk, they go through life. Walk is a way of talking about the way you live. 
For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. The condemnation of our sin, let's just go back over that again. The condemnation of our sin, God's penalty for sin was death. That was fulfilled, born by Jesus in his own body on the cross. And the law now is fulfilled in those who live not by fallen human nature, but according to the Spirit. That's not your Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. Not just good intentions either, but power to act, power to live. We still live, however, with battle, with conflict. You know, you can have victories, but the war continues. You can have a day of, 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 of overcoming. You can have a tire season of, of doing well, but you're not, you're not out of the fight. The minute we think, I'm fine now, do you know what? We crash. Pride comes before a fall. I'm fine now, thank you, Pastor. I'll just, you know, you're going to mess up. We are never okay, thank you very much. We are always vulnerable. I am weak, but he is strong. My strength, says the Lord, is made perfect in weakness, not your brashness, not your, not your ego, not your self-confidence. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, yes. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. You can't think the way everybody else thinks and think that that's pleasing to God. It isn't. It's contrary to God. It is, does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh, walking in normal, everyday, fallen human nature, cannot please God. Notice how those are contrasted there. Flesh, normal humanity, everyday being a, being a, a human being, is hostile to God, is disobedient, displeasing to God, and it ends in death. But life in the Spirit means you are reconciled to God, you're obedient and pleasing to God, and the outcome of that is life and peace. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? Pretty stark. Scripture goes on, Therefore, however, you are not in the flesh. You're not merely human anymore. You're a Christian. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So this is not talking about whether or not you've spoken in tongues or ever had that experience of being overcome by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit. Every Christian right, has received the Holy Spirit in the sense that he is working Christ in them. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you belong to him. The Holy Spirit is developing Jesus in you because you belong to him. And you are no longer a mere human being. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's one of the few times it's your Spirit speaking about that. You are made alive in your Spirit to God through the Holy Spirit's working. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the same spirit to raise Christ from the dead. If he dwells in you, he 
who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Now, you notice here Paul doesn't say you need to get, you need to make this happen. He says you need to know this, you need to keep, get hold of this. See, the scripture speaks to us as Christians not in terms of you've got to make something happen, it's you need to know this is true and act accordingly. It's always truth-based. You know, remember what Jesus said? If you continue my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Freedom comes from knowing what is true and acting accordingly as a disciple. But you've got to know it's true. You don't make it true. It is true. So you agree that it's true. You say amen, and you put your feet and your life into process with the truth. You receive and obey the truth. Paul doesn't say, get out of the flesh. He says, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God, spirit of Christ dwells in you. It's recognizing and accepting and acting upon what is already true. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. He'll apply truth to us and shape us to it. The promise there in Romans 8, 11 go back a minute, we'll give life to your mortal bodies. It's really a promise of our resurrection. Right? I, I even quote it sometimes when I'm praying for sick people, but it's really a promise about our resurrection. But you see, in this, we live in this now and not yet of the kingdom of God. So the power of the age to come, the things that will be ours in God's eternal kingdom, break into our here and now. Not perfectly, not without gaps and missing and sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't and we think why why did it happen then but not then we don't know but we live in an imperfect mixture of now and not yet but now even now the power of the age to come the, the fullness of all of our inheritance can break in upon us so no one of us is guaranteed perfect health but when we're sick we can ask the Lord to heal us that's what David meant when he said who heals all my diseases you've got to have a disease to be healed yeah? I never get sick. Well, good for you, but I think that's way beyond what the scripture promises you. Yeah? We can call on the Holy Spirit who raised you from the dead. Please, Lord, give me strength, give me health. Okay. So then, brethren, we're under obligation, we're under a duty, we're a responsibility, not to the flesh, to fall on human nature, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Ladies, that's inclusive, all right? Thank you. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Father, Abba. Daddy, Papa, in terms of endearment, we feel a closeness to the Father. The Spirit himself testifies, again, this is our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, oh, the minute it was good news, I'm getting some bad news. There are times we suffer with him. I'm not talking about health-wise. I'm talking about the, the opposition and pressure of a godless world against somebody who wants to live a godly life. 
We suffer with them. All who want to live godly, says Paul writing to Timothy, will suffer persecution. You'll get, you'll get some knockback. You'll get some resistance. You'll get some criticism. Because you don't live the way other people do. And it isn't because you're snooty. It's because you're godly. You want to live to honor God. The world will not like that. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. He, oh, I'm just reading you here. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of my own notes. I'm not even looking at my notes. I'm preaching away. Okay. Listen, you cannot eradicate, deal with, kill sin in yourself by your own power, your own efforts. You know? I know we often use, but you know, last time I tried pulling myself on my shoelaces, I fell on my you-know-what. Self-improvement is not Christian doctrine. Sanctification through the Spirit is Christian doctrine. He is at work in us to will and to do God's pleasure. And even getting clean from our past, getting clean of some, some habits and controlling things in our lives, whether it's drug abuse or, 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 or pornography or whatever it is. The message of God is not clean yourself up. It's come to me and I'll, make you, I'll help you get clean. Here it is in Titus 3. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God does something that cleans us. By his mercy, by his grace. And this was poured out upon us richly. He, the Holy Spirit, was poured out upon us richly through Jesus, our Saviour. So that we, being justified by his grace, would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's by the Spirit that you put to death the wrong deeds. And that's more than just kind of things you do with your body, but actions and attitudes as well. Attitudes as well, sorry. Sinful attitudes and actions. We're not talking here about just physical appetites like uh, food and drink, maybe drugs, sex, comfort. We're talking about things that come from our hearts and our souls as well, like pride, like the love of money. It's attitudes and, as well as, 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 as actions that come in here. And let me read to you from Galatians 5. You think, well, what are we talking about here? What, what are these ungodly thing, deeds that we need to put to death? Well, it says in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh of fallen human nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, sleeping around as they call it, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, Carousing. That's called partying in modern language. And anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not an exhaustive list, that's just some examples. It's the stuff the world says, well, that's normal, isn't it? We all do that. And we say, by God's grace, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask Him for grace to empower me to live in a way that honours him. Scripture is saying to us here, we're no, we sing it, don't we? No longer slaves to fear. 
When we played that at David Morgan's funeral, I tell you what, there were some wet faces in the house. No longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. We're no longer slaves to fear, slaves to sin. We're sons of God, fighting in faith, overcoming in life, ruling in the midst of our enemies like Jesus, not by our own resources, but by the power of the life of Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. What Romans 8 says here has been picked up by the song that says, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. That's paraphrasing Romans 8. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. That means I can do life differently from other people. Not by being superior, not by being more holy than that, or whatever people, you know, people express it. No, I've got a new life to live, and it's supplied from beyond me. It's not me doing my best. It's his life coming to me and supplying me through the Holy Spirit. The struggle is more than just with ourselves, though. We're in a battle all round. We're swimming against the current of this world. We're pushing against a pressure that is against us, a resistance to us, and trouble and suffering is inevitable in this age. Jesus said this, These things I've spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble, but take courage. We looked on the video earlier. I have overcome the world. Paul goes on to deal with that here, Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Christ. Our inheritance in and with Jesus is incredible. We only get glimpses, even in Scripture, we only get glimpses. We get analogies, we get similars, we get word pictures. It's, it's bigger than we can imagine. I'm going to give an extra illustration of that. Suppose in the early 1900s, someone said, uh, boy, I'm going to give you a horse. Terrible accent, isn't it? He's going to give him a horse. And so one day, the, the father says, come on outside, boy, I'm going to give you a horse. And outside is a Model T car. It's like, well, you promised me a horse. Yeah, but this is three horsepower. Five, four horsepower. <laughs> yeah? Even so, it seems to me, Paul, uh, Luther said, God lisps to us in the scripture about some things. We have to speak to us in a language we understand. But the reality could be just far, far greater and that we cannot now imagine. So can you imagine this? Fine, imagine that. And that's a pointer to this glorious inheritance the glory that is revealed to us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says a similar thing. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outer man is decaying. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. I'm just aware of how old I'm getting. Yet your inner man, our inner man, is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction. This is a man who's been whipped and flogged. He's, he's, been, he's, he's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked, you know. He's been thrown out, of, thrown out of town a few times. He's been thrown in jail a few times. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's interesting, weight and glory are the same word in Hebrew, weight and glory. Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, in, in time and temporary. But the things which are not seen 
are eternal. Paul goes on in Romans, even the whole of creation longs for that day when the children of God come to their eternal inheritance. But let me come back in a moment and talk about trouble. See, I, I, I know it goes around, you know. People will, you know, God bless them, I'm sure they mean well, prophesy and say to somebody, this trouble is not going to come by you. It's not going to happen. I-N-J, you know, and, or I-J-N in Jesus' name. Well, you might, you might be right about that specific thing, but generally, we cannot live in this life without trouble. You can't prophesy it away. You can't name it and claim it. There we will endure trouble. Why? Because we, of the age we live in, that this fallen world is most... And because we read it in Romans 5, trouble produces something in us. Perseverance, proven character, hope. So you want a life without hope, without, without trouble, you'll stay mature. God allows trouble to bring us to maturity. Even creation longs for it all to be done, for it, us to enter into our inheritance. The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's not in this age. That's not some prophetic movement that's going to happen before Jesus comes. That's a rubbish idea. The creation is longing for the sons of God to be shown in the resurrection for who they are and to enter their eternal inheritance. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. One day, this whole planet will be renewed. You know that? In fiery rebirth, it will become the glorious creation that God always wanted it to be. There will be no more creatures eating one another. It's all going to be extraordinary. You get glimpses of it in Isaiah. Some people apply those things to millennium. I, I don't think it is. I think it's the age to come. When the whole creation is renewed. Because the world will enter, that is the earth, will enter the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Hurricanes, earthquakes, the earth is groaning. The earth is growing, longing. Not only this, we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we, the beginnings of the new age, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Now, sometimes we groan but for the wrong reasons. Oh, it's Monday, I've got to go to work. No, we groan because we are not content with this. We long for the glory of God. We are waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption, the resurrection, in other words, of our body. In hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So what do we do? We're, we're waiting, we're hoping. We pray. What do you do when you face a, a trial, a circumstance, an adverse circumstance? You face opposition in your workplace or, or pressure from your family. You pray. You go as we read in Hebrews 4 verse 6 months ago to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help you in your time of trouble. In your time of trouble to receive grace and mercy that helps you, that equips you, that gives you something. Wisdom, strength, courage, resources. Now, I'm encouraging you to pray, but let me tell you something about praying. Verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We saw last week in 1 Corinthians 2, the Holy Spirit searches the mind and the heart of the Father and communicates not everything, something of those deep things of God into our hearts and minds. We get to feel things God wants us to feel. We get to think things God wants us to think. We get to see it his way. Not in everything, but in, at the moment, in, in, in some moments in life, we say, oh, yeah, I, I, I see it now. I, I, I feel that. I feel compassion for this person. I need to pray for them. I need to talk to them. I feel stirred to say something to this person. Yeah? Because the Holy Spirit searches the things of God and reveals one after again and again and again. Now look at this. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, the Father knows what the Spirit wants and is ready to answer. We know from Hebrews that Jesus intercedes for us. Now, does, the, does Jesus ask for anything that isn't the Father's will? Does the Holy Spirit want anything that isn't the Father's will? Hey, we've got, like I, I think I prayed earlier when we were getting ready to do the worship time, we've got a whole team on our side. We haven't got yet to if God is for us, who can be against us. Jesus prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. So listen, we can add our little bit in there as well, can't we, and pray for ourselves and for one another. We're simply joining the flow of heaven. There is intercession, strengthening prayers going on for us. We're just joining in with our little, you know, tuppence worth. Don't think your prayers make things happen. There's somebody praying more, more powerful than you. At least two of the members of the Trinity are praying for us. The Son and the Spirit. Help is always available. When we come boldly to God's throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Let's try and finish out the chapter. How many of you know that verse? Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I haven't time to preach that. Over. For those whom he foreknew, chose, he also predestined, marked out the way that a carpenter will mark a piece of wood. This is what I'm going to make with it. He predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Every one of us is marked out to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It's not optional. And if you struggle with it, it gets difficult. The more you cooperate, the easier it is. Conformed to the image of Jesus in character, in life, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom God predestined, he also called that's when you heard the gospel and things started to change in here. And those he called, you were so justified. You were forgiven your sins. You knew you were accepted. And those he justified, he also glorified. What? Hang on. That's a long way off, glorified. As far as God's concerned, he's done it. He's got it timetabled. It's booked. It's going to happen. In his sovereignty, you are counted as being already glorified. You know you're not there yet. But he says, that's what I'm going to do. 
All of what we just read and examined is life in the Spirit. It's being led by the Holy Spirit, empowered and equipped by Him to overcome in life, to overcome sin, troubles, hardships, hurts. And you still, you still might be thinking, oh, that's a, bit, that's a bit up there, David, that's a bit up there. What shall we say then to these things? Paul anticipates when we're going to be raising a question or an objection in Romans. He does it again and again. Okay, what we're going to, okay, I've said that or God said that. What am I going to say now? What, what do you feel like saying now? What should we say to these things? Well, Paul gives us a suggested answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, a few can try. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, the devil will try. Accuse you, condemn you. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Even in Romans, it's the, Father, it's the Spirit and the Son making the session. And then it comes to this one. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine by the way, Christians around the world are experiencing some of those things. Famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Might be a gun, Kalashnikov, rather than a sword. but It's happening. Will those things separate them or us from the love of Christ? Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's Psalm 42, verse 2. Oh, you can't see that's too dark. No, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, persuaded, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, Anything in all creation, one version says, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nothing can separate us from his love. We start in Romans 5. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We end here with nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is life in the Spirit, not floating through life, three feet off the ground, halo around your head, beautiful smile. Don't you just love people like that? No, I don't. I want to pull them down. I'm, I'm mean like that, you know. This is going through every situation, every circumstance of life, looking to God through the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to get through it. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, life or death. God, keep it, Holy Spirit, keeping us in the love of God. No matter who prophesies to you, you aren't going to face any of those things. They're wrong. 
Because Jesus said we would and the apostles commanded the churches that we would too. In all these things, not from all these things, we're not saved from them. We are saved through them, kept through them. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. I've told you before, I'll tell you again. You only conquer something if you conquer it. Yeah? You only overcome something if you overcome it. If you step around it, if you never go to it, you don't overcome it. You've got to face it and go through it, and then you've overcome it. Let me go back to, I always quote Isaiah on this first as well. Listen to the promise of God. True prophecy. Now thus says the Lord, Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, o Israel. Do not fear, I have redeemed you. That's saved. Yeah? I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Amen. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now, some people say, you aren't going to face the water, you ain't going to go through the fire. Yahweh says, when you're there, I'm there. And you're not going to be overcome. You're going to go through it. You're going to come out the other side. When... Sorry, sorry, I shouldn't say when you fall. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. You're not doing it in your own strength. You're doing it in Him. The promise is when you go through, there's an old gospel song, we might play it at the end of the morning, uh, Walter Hawkins and the family. I'm going through. It's one of my old favourites. I'm going through. Whatever life may do, I'm going through. Why? Because I'm boastful? No, because I'm needful and I'm dependent and the Holy Spirit is my helper. We overcome. We're more than conquerors by the help of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and help us to overcome in this life, in real life, not in pretend life, not in faith world, which has nothing to do with the real world. Faith to get through real life, to face illnesses, to face redundancy, to face you know, wayward children, to deal with these things by the help of God. Real life needs real faith. We have an inward struggle. We do. The battle's not over yet. Denying our fallen human nature, saying no to ungodliness, according to Timothy. Killing sin. Put to death the deeds of the body. Don't just sort of say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tuck it away in bed and hope it has a nice night's sleep. You stab it through the heart. There are things you just need to be ruthless about to deal with. You can't, you can't be soft with them. You've got to kill them. You know, you've got a problem with something, you're going to have to kill it. You can't cozy it. You've got to kill it. So that we live for God. And we have an outward struggle. We're in the world and we're not of the world and the world doesn't want us to be unlike them. The world really is contrary to us as God's children. I'm not saying everybody in the world is going to be nasty to you, but some will. But the Holy Spirit keeps and brings us through all the battles and difficulties, even working for our good working in us endurance and character and hope through such trials. We've had a lot of winds and storms recently, haven't we? Yeah, and many trees have blown down by such times. But the winds and storms of life, when endured in the grace of God, helped by the Spirit of God, work for our fruitfulness 
not our loss. Endurance, proven character, hope. What the Father has planned for us, Jesus has accomplished for us and the Holy Spirit applies to us. Day by day, hour by hour, over and over again, as we welcome him, listen to him, led, are led by him, we receive him, we depend upon him, we live in Jesus and Jesus lives in us and we endure, we go through, we, we come through all things. We can even be fruitful in all circumstances. And why do we do that? Because that's how God has made his children to live in this life. To live as Jesus did, ruling even in the midst of opposition, in the middle of our enemies. But in our case, we do so because it's his life by the Spirit in us. To our God be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in your great prayer, John 17, what we call your high priestly prayer, you prayed to the Father that we would be sanctified by the truth. God's word is true. And it's as we believe things that are true, even when they don't ring like, I don't feel like that, we have to submit our hearts and minds to say, Lord, I, I accept that this is true. If I'm born of God, Christ Jesus lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And the Spirit has come to help me to live for the pleasure of God, for the honour of his name. I'm no longer like the rest of the world. I can't be, continue to live as I do. For you have redeemed me. And we believe your word is true, Lord, that you don't keep us from all kinds of situations of trouble. These things will happen. But in them, you promise us to be with us and to empower us by your presence. You do not leave us. You do not forsake us. You are with us. And you want to help us and equip us. And brothers and sisters, you know, I've said this again sometimes before now, but Sometimes we pray when we don't mean we're praying. You're in the middle of a trying day and you say, give me strength. Well, if you made that a prayer, you might get somewhere. Lord, give me strength. Grace and mercy now, please, Lord. Equip me now to deal with this. Whether it's raising kids, going for a job interview, whatever it is, Lord, give me strength. Strengthen me now, Holy Spirit. Equip me now. I lack wisdom. Tell me something. I lack courage. Feed my heart with the love of God again, please. This is how we're to do life, friends. To do all of life in the supply of God's truth, firstly. We need to know the things that are ours, freely given us by God in Christ Jesus, because the Holy Spirit keeps telling us about them. And then we take hold of them and say, yes, please, help me now. According to your promise. Wisdom, now, please, Lord. According to your promise. We commit ourselves, Lord, to live for your glory. 
to live for the pleasure, the smile of your face, the light of your countenance, as the old blessing says. So now, yeah, we didn't get everything right today, but we got some things right, and God's pleased with that. We want to live for that, Lord, to live in the joy of God so that we might even learn to take joy in our troubles when they come, whether from inside or outside. Because your strength will be made perfect in weakness. And you never leave us. You never forsake us. Your I am with you is unbreakable, unshakable. Blessed be your name. We give you thanks and praise, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to get up and move around and break bread together. While we do that, we'll have some music playing. And if you would like someone to stand and pray with you, we had quite a few people come forward for prayer last week. Not, it's not always connected to the preach, you understand? Just you, want, you would like someone to pray with you. We'll find people to pray with you. Stand. I, I, I usually like joining hands. I find that's helpful to join hands. and we, We're talking together, sharing together and asking the Lord for his grace and so and we do it, we don't have to do, make long prayers. If you think, well, he didn't pray very long for me. I don't, I don't think long prayers make any difference. Faith-filled prayers make a huge difference. <laughs> but length, no. <laughs> right, I'll retreat, no. God, God doesn't need to have big long words. The prayer of faith isn't necessarily a long prayer. It's, it's a faithful prayer. So we'll be happy to pray for you, okay? We're going to play some music. Let's just uh, fix our eyes, focus our attention again on this. Redemption authorized by the Father, accomplished by Jesus, applied by the Holy Spirit. We come back again here today to the focus on Jesus in whom, in whose own self, in his own body, he made reconciliation, made peace for us. By the tearing and breaking of his body as we break bread. By the shedding of his blood as we pour wine into our mouths. Jesus bought everything that we call redemption for us so that the Holy Spirit now can increasingly and progressively help us to become more and more and more like Jesus. We go on being saved through the work of the Spirit. We bless your name, Lord Jesus, as you call us again to your table. That you yourself took bread and broke it and said, take it, this is my body, this is you. And when they'd finished eating, you took the cup after supper. and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Drink all of you from it. We thank you that you've sealed us to the Godhead in a new covenant made in and by yourself. We are merely those who inherit. We contribute nothing. We bless you again, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please get up and move around. I don't think Chris isn't here.